And as I, as I begin this morning, I want to just talk about days. Uh, the title of my message this morning is Dealing with the Days. Now, in the course of a year, there are some days that are more special to uh, us than others. Does anyone have a special day, maybe a favorite day throughout the whole year that they just, they just like? Uh, you know, I'll go Thatcher, we'll go Austin. Thatcher, what's your most special day that you, you like? Your last birthday. Okay, your eighth birthday, you like that. But I'm looking for a date. Yeah, Austin, what's your favorite day? June 21st. Why June 21st? Longest day of the year. I love that day as well. And your birthday. How about that? Okay, what about you, Lauren? Why June 26th? Your birthday. Okay, how about, I'm thinking about, um, how about uh, December 25th? You, you like that day? Yeah. Why do you like that day? It's Christmas, right? Gifts are coming. How about um, January 1st? Or December 31st? How about that? December 31st? You like that day? You get to stay up really, 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 really late. That's a, that's a pretty fun day. Um, what about, how about this one? How about uh, March 17th? You like March 17th? How about March 17th? You like March 17th? What's March 17th? Patrick said we have a tradition in our house that we go to McDonald's and we get a shamrock shake on that day. It's really pretty fun. Hannah, you had something you were going to say? The, the last day? Okay. All right. Um, well, how about March 10th? Anyone like March 10th? Yeah, you like March 10th? Why do you like March 10th? Oh, nice. Anyone else like March 10th today? Oh, oh, we have a birthday. Jenna, how old are you today? How old are you today? 13. Can we sing happy birthday to Jenna in honor of her day? Happy birthday to you. Woo! Happy birthday to you. Woo! Happy birthday, dear Jenna. Happy birthday to you. All right. All right. We're learning. That's really good. Well, what about this past Wednesday? What, what, was, what was this past Wednesday? Beside being, I think it was the, I don't even know, was it the 7th maybe? What was this past Wednesday? Yes, JC? It was Ash Wednesday. It's a, it's a special day for many people. It's the day that, uh, that millions of people all around the world went to church on that day, received some, some dust and ashes crossed upon their foreheads. On that day, it's a, it's a day of prayer and, and fasting because dust and ashes is a typical sign in the Old Testament for, uh, for repentance. Ash Wednesday really launches the beginning of what's called Lent. It's basically 40 days leading up to Easter, excluding Sundays. And so it starts with Lent. It's typically a season of, of fasting and repentance and self-examination and reflection where people mourn over their sin as they think about anticipating Easter morning when, when the, the glories come, where, where Christ is raised from the dead, where we rejoice in that, where our salvation is, is really recognized and experienced. And typically, Ash Wednesday or, or Lent is, is uh, celebrated by liturgical churches, Roman Catholics, Orthodox churches, um, Anglicans, Lutherans, Methodists. And, and when it comes to Ash Wednesday, um, Roman Catholic Church, they got some requirements. If you're between 18 and 59, okay, you need to be fasting from meat on Fridays through Lent. 
It's a sign of penance. It's a sign of a, a sacrifice, if you will, for Jesus. Um, and Friday is a day to do this because that's the day in which Jesus was died, in which his passion was. And that's why you see restaurants right, serving fish fries on Friday. It's because right, Catholics can't eat meat on those days, and so they, they do that. And, and it catch this out. But the original idea of that was um, to spend less money on the luxury foods like and pork. And so spend money on the common food like and so the money that you save, then you could give to the church. Whereas, in, interesting today, right? The, the pork and the chicken, and the, it's cheaper than the fish is more expensive. So it's kind of lost there, if you will. Fish is a delicacy for us in many ways, especially in the, midways, in the Midwest. But Lent, anyway, Lent is a season of suffering, joining our hearts in the suffering of Christ. Um, but beyond the Roman Catholic Church, beyond just the, there, Lent is, Lent is even exposed and, and broadened to some other things. Uh, it's like Lifeway Research uh, recently did a survey of how people typically observe Lent. And this is like a top 10 survey. People could check several boxes, and here's what they checked. They, they checked 57% of them said that they, they uh, stop eating fast food or favorite food or beverage for Lent. It's kind of the idea of that. They, they t- pick up their church attendance. 57% did that. 39% pray more. 38 they, they give more. They give to others. Or 35% just fast stop a bad habit during these six weeks or fast from some favorite activity. It's kind of the idea of, of Lent and what, what people seek to do. Um, and, and every year for the past couple of years, Christianity Today has, has uh, published uh, an issue about Twitter and and the word cloud and, and ideas about Lent every year. And, and here are the top, based on over almost 30,000 tweets, the top 10 items. I'm going to stop abstain during Lent from social networking or from Twitter right now. I'm going to abstain from alcohol during these six months or chocolate or swearing or meat or sweets or soda or coffee or fast food. Those are just the top 10, and if you go down the list, even some of these smaller ones, I found an interesting one. Plastic had 188 tweets. I'm going to, for Lent, abstain from disposable plastic. Fortnite had 87 tweets. Hot Cheetos had 55 tweets. 55 people for Lent are going to abstain from hot Cheetos. I've never had hot Cheetos. Maybe I ought to try some hot Cheetos. Have you had hot Cheetos? No. Makeup received 47 tweets. I just say all this because of the day. Last Wednesday was a big day for people. I remember a few years ago um, going down to my alma mater, Knox College. We were celebrating the, the 30th anniversary of our Midwest Conference championship baseball team that we were on. And uh, so I was there. A lot of baseball players had friends with basketball players. And so it was kind of like a reunion of a bunch of athletes from uh, Knox College, and I remember I, I saw someone, hadn't talked to him for 25 years, and uh, his man was a Catholic man, and it kind of came out that I was a pastor, and just, he was really, he's kind of maybe into his Catholicism maybe a little bit, I'm not, not I'd kind of be surprised about that, but his question to me, kind of just trying to relate was, oh, so, and this was like, whatever, April 1st, April 10th, <clears throat> something like that, right, the beginning of the, of the baseball season, and so it's right the springtime, he said, oh, so how was your Lenten season? I was like, I don't even think about my Lenten season. It's just not even a, a vocabulary. I'm kind of like, I guess, good, I guess. I hadn't, hadn't really thought about it. Um, 
But I just want to show you how big Lent is. It's not big for us, right? It's big for other people. And in the evangelical and reformed world, practicing Lent is a, a bit of a debate. Because it's not in the Bible um, to like give up something for this season. Um, though there certainly could be some profitability in this. A, a time of self-denial when you actively and intentionally focus your time upon Christ, reading more of the Bible, praying more, fasting more, only good can come of that, for sure. But, but there's some warnings and some dangers as well, right? When you make intentional sacrifices, you can easily fall into a works mentality, like God owes you some blessing because of your great sacrifice for Him, like, God, I gave up my Cokes for you, right? You, you need to bless me. It's kind of crazy, but that sort of mindset can drift in there. F- furthermore, it can be an intentional temporary repentance, which is not true repentance at all. In fact, the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, you know what it's called? It's called Mardi Gras. It's called Fat Tuesday. It's the day where we can party to excess and use up all our vices because we know that we're going to go 40 days without. And then what happens right after Easter Sunday on Monday? Wait, just, just go right back to them. This is just a season in which we're depriving ourselves and temporary repentance is not helpful at all. Well, in recent years, it's been vogue for some in the Reformed world to be more confessional in their worship. It's led them to follow after the ways of the, the church calendar, um, including the celebration of, of Lent. Uh, Carl Truman, if you just want to search him, Ash Wednesday, Carl Truman, you can read a great article that he wrote about Ash Wednesday. <clears throat> He's a professor of church history at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And he writes this. He says, I can understand Anglicans observing Lent. It's part of their history. It connects to their formal liturgical history. All denominations and Christian traditions involve elements that are strictly speaking unbiblical, but which shape their historic identity. And for Anglicans, the liturgical calendar, it's just just a thing for them. But just as celebrating July the 4th makes sense for Americans, but not for the English or Chinese, so Ash Wednesday and Lent really makes no sense to those who are Presbyterians and Baptists or free will evangelicals. What perplexes me, he said, is for the need that people have, these other groups, to observe Ash Wednesday and Lent. And then he says this, and I I put the quote up here because I want you to see it. He says, my commitment to Christian liberty means that I certainly would not regard it as sinful in itself for them to do so. But that same commitment also means that I object most strongly to anybody trying to argue that it should be a normative practice for Christians to impose it on their congregations or to claim that it confers benefits unavailable elsewhere. And and what Carl Truman says about Ash Wednesday is exactly what the Apostle Paul says about special days of worship. I just want to read it again. My commitment is, to Christian liberty means that I certainly would not regard it as sinful in it of itself for them to do so, right? It's not sinful to, to celebrate Lent and to give up things and to push yourself towards more Bible reading and more prayer and fasting than, than, than is typical. That's, that's fine. He said, but that same commitment to the freedom that says it's not wrong also means that I object most strongly to anybody trying to argue that it should be a normative practice for Christians. That is, I I would object strongly to people taking their views and pressing it upon other people 
or congregations, to impose it on their congregations, or to claim that it confers benefits unavailable elsewhere. He said, in other words, right, it's okay to practice it, but to push it and say it's normative and you should be doing this, he says that's unbiblical and that is unwise and that is not right. There's freedom to celebrate Lent, but it's wrong to impose those days on anyone. So if you haven't done so already, we're going to see Paul say basically the same thing, the same spirit in Romans chapter 14. So you can open up there if you don't have a Bible, you can take the Pew Bible in front of you, page 948 is where we are, right at the end of 948 and right up to 949 is where we'll be this morning. And I want to begin reading in uh, chapter 14, verse 1, kind of review a little bit from last week and then we'll catch up steam as we start there in, in verse 5. So here we go, Romans 14, verse 1, Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." Now, the main point of last week carries over into this week because it's the main point of the section from chapter 14, verse 1, all the way down to chapter 15, verse 7. If God welcomes someone into his kingdom, you should welcome that person into your fellowship. That's what what Paul is saying. Even if you have different views about how your Christian life works itself out. If you eat only vegetables and he eats anything... Well, these things ought not to be a barrier and a wall for Christian fellowship, is what he's saying. Right? Look at chapter 15, verse 7. This is the big therefore. This is the big conclusion. This is what we'll get at for several weeks as we look through this passage. It says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As God has welcomed us, so we ought to welcome others. And how has God wel- welcomed us? I said last week, like the prodigal son with open arms, how he has received us and brought us in and welcomed us, and so we should do that to other believers, despite differences of opinions. We aren't to quarrel with one another about opinions, so it says in chapter 14, verse 1. We shouldn't despise other people because of these things. We shouldn't pass judgment on others because of these things, because we aren't the judge. God is the judge, and he will judge us all. He'll uphold us, and he will make us stand in the judgment. And, and that sort of, of um, truth has some implications upon our how we deal with matters where we differ. I talked last week about implications about our our children, how we school our children, or how we deal with alcohol, or or cigarettes, or entertainment choices, or music choices, or religious choices, or commitments, or what we do. All those things are, are not barriers to fellowship. All these things can cause division and strife, and And Paul says, let them not cause strife. Instead, he says, let the strong who understand their freedom and aren't bound by just eating vegetables but can eat everything, let them welcome the weak. And then he goes on to say it like this in dealing with days. He says in verse 5, he says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Now you see we're talking about days now. He went from diets, verses 1 through 5, to days in verse 5 through 12. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be be Lord of both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. I believe beginning in verse 5, he's focusing on days. My message is entitled, Dealing with the Days. We're dealing particularly here, he's talking about here in verse 5, religious days that some people lift up and hold of, of high importance, or other people don't see them as important. Some see them special, some don't, and then there's conflict and there's tension. Paul brings it up here in verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Now, it's difficult to know here exactly what he's talking about. Um, initially, our first thought might be he's Sabbath-keeping. He's talking about the weekly Sabbath or the, the weekly gathering or the Sunday, if you will. But he might easily be talking about the religious festivals and feasts that God commanded in the law, right? the, the special seasons like our, our Christmas or Thanksgiving, kind of Jewish equivalents of those things. But, but the principle is the same, right? One person esteems one day or one holiday or one special day as, as really special, and the others esteem all days alike. You had some who elevated these certain days as better than other days. And when we think about who might have done that, our mind comes initially to think about the Jewish people. Um, for generations, they worshipped on the Sabbath, and for them, the Sabbath was a big deal. I mean, to them, it was a matter of obedience. It was one of the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath holy is commandment number four. Right, your thumb is resting here, right? Number four, that's kind of how you can can hear that. Listen to what the law said when it was given to Moses. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Which, by the way, it's interesting that uh, one of the things, whatever about people who demand whatever, Saturday work, people miss the six days where we need to work and we need to work hard so that we rest on the seventh day anyway, but... But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the Jews looked back to Moses who God told them, go back to the creation, six days of creation, seventh day rest. Sabbath day was a day of rest. It's also a day of worship. It's a day when they gathered in the synagogues. And on that day, no work was to be done. Anyone, you, your servant, your male servant, none. And if anyone who broke the Sabbath was judged by the religious community as a dreadful sinner. Like this is one of the biggest sins you could make in the Jewish culture. And it's not merely Jewish culture, it's the law that makes Sabbath breakers. Listen to Numbers chapter 15, a story about a man who broke the Sabbath. 
And listen for the consequences that came under divine direction. Numbers 15, 32. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Like Sunday, gathering sticks. I got to feed my stove. I'm out. I forgot to do it the night before. And so I'm out gathering sticks so I can stay warm. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what they should be done to him. He was in jail. And John Underhill and uh, Gary would have come visited him as he was in custody with this reach out weekend. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. This was divine command. If you break the Sabbath. Sabbath keeping is a big deal to God and to the Jews. You want another example about how big they kept it? Just look at the life of Christ and see how seriously they took these things. When Jesus had conflicts with the, the Pharisees, often it was over the issue of Sabbath. I'll just read you one of the the conflicts. Um, Jesus and disciples walking through the grain fields one day. Disciples were hungry. And as it was the custom, as easy to do, they they picked up uh, some grain off the the wheat or whatever. They rolled it in their hands. They began to eat it. And the Pharisees didn't like that at all. They went to Jesus and said, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. You can't pick grain and go like this and eat it because that's work. And Jesus tried to explain about the Sabbath. He, he pointed the Pharisees to mercy, but they would have nothing of it. He says, if you'd have known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, from Hosea 6.6, 6, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he told them, he says, just give some mercy here, right? If they're hungry, they can, they can do this. That's okay. They didn't understand they went straight from there into the synagogue. It was the Sabbath. They were probably on their way to church, probably, on their way to the synagogue. And on their way, then they get there. And there was a man there with a withered hand. And they brought this man to Jesus in the synagogue, right? His hands are withered and whatever. It's deformed. It's lost some bones. And, and they, they said to Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, they knew the answer. They thought it was unlawful. But they knew the answer that Jesus would give. They would say, yes, it is lawful. And they asked the question not because they were curious, but they asked it in Matthew ten twelve, so they might accuse him. So they knew he had the power to heal. They brought this man with an obvious deformity that, that no faith healer ever heals today. They don't, they don't deal with these sorts of things like Jesus did in his healing ministry. And they brought in Jesus. They knew that he could do this. Is it lawful? But it's the Sabbath. Can you do this on the Sabbath? And so again, Jesus asked them a question. Which one of you, by the way, directing it to mercy, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was healthy like any, like the other hand. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him because he'd broken their Sabbath laws. Now, they had biblical warrant for this for sure. They had the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. They had Numbers 15 and the severity of judgment that comes upon those who break the Sabbath. 
They had other pastors, like Isaiah 58, which talks about how the people of Israel didn't keep the Sabbath and how they, they tried to restore themselves back into the law. And, and it only made sense then with this Sabbatarian mindset that then they become Christians from a Jewish heritage. They might hold to a specific day of worship. They might hold to their Saturday worship, their Sabbath worship, that it needs to be kept. It needs to be part of the law, right? We, we need to still have not make a graven idol, right? Second commandment. Well, we ought not to use the name of the Lord our God in vain. Why do we keep one through three and not do four? Is what they, they thought. It was required of them by God. And so they had scruples, opinions, strong convictions about the Sabbath day and what it should look like. Because I mean, remember last week we talked about Peter? I, I've never eaten. I'm not going to eat. They could likely say, I've never worked on the Sabbath. I, I've never worked. I've always prepared. I've, I have rested every Sabbath according to what you said. They had this conviction. But the church of Rome, there were the Gentiles who didn't quite have this conviction. They didn't have this Sabbath scruples, if you will. They viewed every day the same. In fact, even as I remember my Roman history, for a while they, they toyed with a 10-day work week. Um, that didn't work because God has made us, so one in seven works best. But they, they toyed with that a little bit. But they, they, so they didn't have this, this one in seven mindset at all. And in verse 5 we read that, one person esteems one day is better than the other. The Jew, while another, the Gentiles, view every day alike. Those who didn't have this Sabbath background had no disposition to a, a heart that just says, okay, one day, one day in seven, this has got to be a special day. But it is interesting here that it speaks a little bit about their heart. It says, we, we see here in the ESV, it says that here we see they esteem all days alike. It's not that every day was simply alike or every day was just whatever. They esteemed it alike that's, that's that's the same word judge is probably a better word one person judges one day as better than another but another judges every day alike as alike so it's not like the gentiles are saying oh there's no day to worship god they were saying every day to worship god uh, these are the ones okay who would wake up singing the song which i want you to join me with we sung happy birthday we need to sing this song too can you anticipate what song we're gonna sing this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, or we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. And so these people were esteeming this day. They said, today's the day, today's the day. God, God's made this day, and he's made this day, and he's made this day, right? I mean, he's like the guy from the Lego movie. What's his name? Um, everything is awesome. Everything is cool. When you're, he, this is like this every day. Like, every day is awesome. God has made us. He's created us so we can worship. The Jews did that once. These guys did it seven times a day. I love Paul's counsel. What does he say in verse 5? There's conflict in the church. He says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You should be convinced in your own mind whether one day is really better than another or whether all days are alike. You should go to the word of God. You should read what the Old Testament says about the Sabbath. You should study about the day. Consider what the New Testament says about the Lord's Day, about the Sabbath, about how Jesus dealt with the Sabbath, about the differences in Christ coming to fulfill the law, 
how Christ transformed our lives, what he said about the Sabbath, and then come to your own conviction that's yours, that is your own, and that you hold to. That's what Paul says. Now, it's kind of interesting what he didn't say at this point. What, what didn't he say? He didn't say, the Jews are right, follow them. He didn't say, the Jews are wrong, the Gentiles are right, follow them. Even with massive biblical data, with inspiration from the Lord, it was a doctrinal issue that Paul intentionally left unsettled because the way of peace is for each one to be convinced of it in their own mind and live in harmony with one another. Kind of interesting. Now, if you take this study, the Old Testament and the New Testament can lead you down several paths. Uh, I mean, there are those who firmly believe the Sabbath is still binding on us today, like a full-fledged Sabbath on us today. These would be Christians, if you will, Seventh-day Adventists. Building on Alpine Road, right? Seventh-day Adventists. They believe that the Sabbath is for today. And therefore, they worship on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. Uh, there are also some Seventh-day Baptists, by the way. It's not just Seventh-day Adventists. They, they look and say, why have Christians changed the day? It's Saturday is the day. And they import a bunch of Old Testament into that, that Saturday is their day of worship. Um, this path of study might lead you down that way. This path of study might firm believe, lead you down the way. There are those who firmly believe the Sabbath day has been transformed into the Lord's day. So the Saturday has been transformed into not the Sabbath on Saturday, but the Lord's day on Sunday. The resurrection changed that day. It's changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. They look biblically. They see the the believers worshiping on the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week, calling it the Lord's Day, and they think that change has come. And for some who see the Lord's Day, some view that as a day of rest, pulling in all the Sabbath stuff into the day of rest. No work is to be done on that day. No entertainment. And depending upon the, the personality and background and flavor of the pastor, maybe even no football. Okay? Only reading and praying and church activities are allowed. Consider the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, articles 7 and 8. It said, As it is the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so in his word by a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding on all men in all ages, God has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him. The Sabbath is to be kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all day from their works, words and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreation, but also are taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of his worship in the duties of necessity and mercy. The Westminster Confession takes the old Sabbath puts it into a Lord's Day context, um, into a, particularly a day of rest and a day of worse, of mercy. Of course, deeds of necessity can be done, but kind of fully bringing that over. Uh, the Baptist faith and message, a little shorter, less specific, pushing people more towards their conscience, and, and maybe doesn't quite get where the Westminster says. Uh, listen to the, the Baptist faith and message. 
The first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It's a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with a Christian conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, right, your conscience should be there. You should come and worship and then just let the conscience guide you about what sort of day that should be. But your day should be a day and it should be lived in devotion to the Lord. Now for others, they, they go and they study in the Bible and they come down that Sunday is the Lord's day. But apart from Sunday at church, their day looks like every other day. Maybe like a Saturday. Sunday afternoon is like Saturday. Um, for others, Saturday night, Worship is just fine. Worship Saturday night, Sunday morning becomes a Saturday, if you will. Um, for others, there's no need even to attend public worship because just God and me. It's not even with the people. That's the Sabbath day. Now, I, I said earlier that these days could be Sabbath days or it could be festival days. The Old Testament, God gave the people of Israel a bunch of religious holidays to keep. Major holidays, the Jewish calendar. We remember, can you just give me some? What are some major holidays in the Jewish calendar? The what? Passover. Pesach, right? It corresponds with our Easter. What about another Festover? Tabernacle, you mean the, the Feast of, of Booze you, you're talking about, which is um, Sukkot, right? The Feast of Tabernacles. And we had another one? What? Huh? Rosh Hashanah, right? The New Year. Another Jewish holiday? Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement. You, you might put... Um, Shavuot in there, the, the Feast of Weeks, or um, Purim, right, based upon Esther, right, celebrating the rescue of the Jews. The Apocrypha even adds Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights that Jesus celebrated. And so should Christians celebrate these things? Like, why is it that, that we go by maybe a Roman calendar rather than a, a Jewish calendar? Why not go by a Jewish calendar? And there's some Messianic congregations made up of Christians who have believed in the Messiah, who order their, their years according to Jewish festivals, centered around the Jewish feasts and, and festivals given in the law. And these things get the focus. So they don't have Easter, they have Passover. Um, and they don't have Christmas, they probably have Hanukkah. Uh, because it's, it's not, that we're, we're not commanded to celebrate Christmas. We're, we're not commanded on whatever, the Passover holiday to celebrate Easter in the Bible. And so they said, let's go with the law, let's go with the, the Bible so you have, have people, Christians, celebrating those things. On the other side, there are churches that don't believe in Christmas and Easter and celebrating them at all. Right? They're going through the, the book of, of Romans and they just continue right on. And when Easter comes, you just get the next passage and nary a mention of the resurrection. Or Christmas, not either. They just, and a lot of Puritans, by the way, were in this realm. I think probably pendulum swinging from... Um, the Catholic Church swinging to freedom, and so they didn't want to be bound by any of those things. So uh, the days, right? There could be different views. And to all these different views, Paul simply says, be convinced in your own mind. No, wait. He says, listen, each one of you should be fully convinced in your own mind. Like this is dead center. I know that I am right. That's what we're saying about these, these different things. Now, isn't it interesting that Paul's emphasis upon unity in the body 
Right? The strong not judging the weak, but welcoming them in and being a big, happy group family church hug is at the same time telling them to be firm in your opinions and convictions. But do it so you don't pass judgment on others or don't despise those who practice differently than you do. And this would have implications upon practices. About like what days are we going to gather together or how are we going to do our gathering or, or like even what, what, what are we going to do for Lent or what are we going to do for Christmas? Are we going to light our candles? Are we, it's going to have big influence and impact. And Paul says, be fully convinced, but don't judge and don't despise one another for your different practices. And Paul's convinced the best way to deal with the issue is just like he did with the diets. Don't pass judgment, don't despise. And, and here's the reason, it comes in verse 6. Here's my, my second point. Oh, I never got my first point up there. First, be convinced. Second, live for the Lord. Live for the Lord. And this, this I think, brings some, some clarity into our diets last week and all the things we talked about there and brings some clarity into what we're talking about days. Um, in fact, if you remember, uh, in fact, let, let's just read verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, don't live your life just in pursuit of your own pleasures. So don't examine the Sabbath issue and say, my son has a soccer game on Sundays. We're going to go to soccer. We'll just go to church on Saturday night. That's like, you're not living for the Lord, you're living for soccer, and, 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 and the Lord's day becomes secondary to that. He said, live your way in such a way that you honor the Lord, right? So there's a, a movement and a passion to pursue the Lord in these things, not just to pursue your own pleasures and develop a theology of convenience. And if you remember last week, and then he, he delves here into diets of verse 6. The one who eats and not eats in honor of the Lord gives thanks, gives thanks in honor of the Lord. Remember last week we gave a bunch of different ways in which different choices, we might have different standards of life, whether entertainment choices or activities or church involvement or Christian involvement or politics or activities or ministries or, or whatever. And, and I said that we all have different choices about things. We all are different, praise the Lord, right? This is the body of Christ. We're all different members of different types of, of people in giftedness. And with these different things, we have different scopes and different Choices in life. Verse 6 tells us that our entertainment, our entertainment choices should be for the Lord. And says that our, our activities, our hobbies, what we do, should be for the Lord. And the extent of our church involvement should be for the Lord. And our political views and activities and involvement should be for the Lord. Now, I hope this helps to frame what we do because certainly we have Christian freedom in many areas of life. But our freedom isn't a freedom to do whatever we want. Our freedom is a freedom to do what's honoring to the Lord. And so there are people who maybe understand some issue about Christian freedom, but basically say, I'm free, I'm forgiven in Jesus, and then they go and they pursue their own pleasures. It's like they've missed it. Rather, it's I'm free, I don't have to be bound by the religious rules. I can live a life of love and mercy and grace. But see, it, it's not just saying, oh, I can, I can be involved in any activity I want. 
Like, I could do that because I'm for, I've forgiven in Jesus. Yeah, let's go do that. That's not honoring to the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about making choices that rather than going of the religiosity bent that many people do. It's Ash Wednesday. Oh, I have to do Ash Wednesday. No, you don't. You don't have to have this 40 days of, of repentance and giving something up. You don't. You're free. You're free to what? You're free to say, well, if those things are a hindrance to me, I'm going to cast them off, not just for 40 days, but forever by God's grace. You can live for the Lord. But the moment you use your freedom to pursue your own pleasures, without the Lord in mind, you've missed Paul's point entirely in terms of freedom in Christ. Our freedom is freedom to live for the Lord. And this works out differently in people's lives as they have differing opinions but yet still the call is to walk in unity and harmony. And it's my prayer and hope for Rock Valley Bible Church that we would walk in unity and harmony despite differing opinions among us uh, of different things, of different views, of different beliefs, different practices. That whatever differences we have, that we would walk in unity together. More about that in the annual meeting, by the way. Um, encourage you to stay. Uh, verses 7 and following, Paul elaborates. And he just says this, right? We're living for the Lord. It's the honor of the Lord. Wow. It's the same point over and over and over again, 7, 8, and 9. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This goes back to Romans 12, 1. The whole scope of Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, it's all response to the mercies of God. Chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What does that look like? Well, it looks like living for God, right? If we are living sacrifices, a sacrifice is meant entirely for God. So if we're living sacrifice, that means we're living for God. That's exactly what we're saying here in Seven, eight, and nine. None of us lives to himself, right? Because we're a living sacrifice. We're, we're for him. We don't die to ourselves. We don't sacrifice for ourselves. We, we're, we're, we're for him. If we live, we live for him. If we die, we die for him. Because we are his. He is our Lord. And means we are his servant. We follow after him. Chapters 12 through 16 are all, all response. And when it comes to dealing with days, you come to your own convictions. And then what do you do? You live for the Lord. And what it means is this, is if you come to the conclusion that there's not anything special about a Sunday, you come to believe then that worship on Sunday morning is nowhere commanded in the Bible, you come to that conviction, then how do you act? Well, you live for the Lord. And what does that mean? That means on Sunday morning you gather with God's people, not because it's special or binding, but that's when God's people get together and living for the Lord you, you live not, not because it's Sunday, but because you're offering your body a living sacrifice and you're commanded to worship and you're commanded to be in a community where you can do one another's with people. And so the people are here on Sundays and so you gather for worship here on Sundays, not because Sunday is Sunday, but because Sunday is when the people gather and this is where we are. Not because the day is special, but that's how you can honor the Lord most. It's how you can live for the Lord, to be put in an environment where there are God's people all around and we can see and encourage and uplift and gather and mobilize all together to do far more than we could do independently. It means you go to Nepal and they worship on Saturday. And you worship with them on Saturday. Because it's not about Saturday, but 
they gather for church on Saturday because the Muslim holiday is, is Friday and the work week starts on Monday and so Saturday works best for them. They worship on Saturday and, and you come to that conviction and so you join them in worship on Saturday because that's when the people do. But it's not because you have a conviction about the day. On the other hand, you study your Bible and pray, you come to the conclusion that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. And so you order your life around so that Sunday is a day of rest. You prepare foods on Saturday. You you gather with the saints on Sunday morning. If possible, you return Sunday evening. You make no plans for work on Sunday. No house projects. No yard cleanup. You do that all on Saturday. Um, You don't go to the stores or out to eat. You don't force others to work on the Sabbath. You don't pick up your computer, your phone, or your tablet. Those things distract you on that day. And you enjoy the day of rest with happiness and with a smile on your face because it's the best day of the week because God is, is um, going to bless you for that. And you just know you're going to be happy with that and you're going to party on that day. Not party in a worldly sense, but you're going to party in the, hey, we prepared all this food last night, we need to eat it and we're going to enjoy this day. You have a happy day every week. The seventh day comes happy for you every week. And then you work the six days to prepare for that happy day that comes. Paul's message is, if you're convinced of that, then you live that way. And you serve the Lord that way. And you walk in unity that way. And and I love how Paul didn't interject and say, this is right. Uh, I thought this morning about taking you through verses and more doing an in-depth study about what the New Testament says about the Lord's Day and, and how Jesus dealt with the people of the Sabbath and what the Sabbath is about and how, how, how it relates to a, a Lord's Day, how it relates to a Sunday. But you know what? I, I said, I'm not going to teach that because Paul didn't teach that. I feel like I don't need to teach that. He didn't teach it to the Romans. He said, you should have your convictions. You should go and find that out. YouTube it someplace. Look, figure it out. Um, but let me tell you that if you come up with a day that says you're going to so maybe I'm doing what I said I wasn't going to do. I'm not sure. But if you, if you come up and say that Sunday is the day that I have to worship and rest, I will just say that there will be temptations there that aren't in the other, um, the other view. I say this because of my experience. I mentioned this about this a little bit last week. But I remember early in my marriage being attracted to some Reformed Baptist preachers. Fabulous preachers. Godly men. Knew their Bibles. Loved Christ with all their heart. Consecrated themselves to the Lord. Their churches seemed like great places of devotion. Um, and naturally, right, they're really super committed to God, right? One of the things that comes out is a commitment to keeping the, the Christian Sabbath. And I was, I was so impacted and helped by these, these pastors and these preachers that I was hearing. I was getting some tapes and listening to them. Very much helping me in my, my Christian life that... That when I had opportunity, I, I went to some of their churches. I, I remember I had a, uh, a business trip to Boston one time. And uh, just, uh, I was going to be gone a week. And I confangled it so that Yvonne could come with me. So I was off at training all day. And she was, whatever, doing her photo books and stuff. We'd come home at night. We'd go out for dinner and hike. And it was a wonderful week. Um, but we chose to fly in a, week, a day early on Saturday actually two days early, whatever day early on Saturday, so that we could rent a car and drive four hours to New Jersey to go to this church where I wanted to see this pastor in his context preach. And so we went there. (laughs) 
had a wonderful time. Sunday morning was great. We invited over to someone's house, lunch, Sunday afternoon. It's kind of what they do. The Sabbath is a, is a particular holy day there, and so they had a hospitality crew. If anyone's visiting, come and be with us for a Sunday afternoon. We did that. We had great Christian fellowship, had a Sunday night, got to see this pastor in context where he thundered from the pulpit, but he was kind and gentle. Hugs and embraces all around. Just, I have nothing bad to say against the guy. So this is not a smash on those guys at all. Another occasion, I had a chance to go to Raleigh, North Carolina. And again, Yvonne was able to join me on this trip. I did training of the day. She enjoyed her time away from the kids in the hotel room working on stuff. And there was a Reformed Baptist church nearby. So we went to this church about an hour away this one was. It was super encouraging. It was a great time. Great church. Big church. Wonderful preaching. And because of their influence... We, probably at my lead more than anything else, sought a Christian Sabbath, giving Sundays completely over to rest and ministry. But here's what I found. I just found within myself a highly judgmental spirit erupt. Because I was the one committed to the Lord. But you guys, your pansies, you're not committed to the Lord. What are you doing? And um, because keeping Sunday as the Lord would have everyone to do. I was the righteous one doing it the right way, and they were not doing it the right way. I remember particularly one Sunday in the summer. It was warm outside, so we had our windows open, and we were enjoying our, our day of, of sitting, reading, napping, whatever, and the windows were wide open, and I heard a lawnmower going, and anger stirred up in my soul at the, my neighbor mowing his lawn on a Sunday. Because he was working on the Christian Sabbath. I remember the, the steep, just the righteous indignation, like rushing to my face just about how wicked that man was. I'm so glad, God, that you have made me righteous, right? To keep the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Thank you that I'm not like these other people who mow the lawn on the Sabbath, but I, I do this. And uh, it was ugly and it was judgmental. There's something about the day that really shocked my soul. I had succumbed to Paul's temptation that he warned about in verses 12 and following, that I was judging my neighbor because of this conviction that I had, that Paul tells me to have. I got verse 5, I didn't get verse 10. Paul says this, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I was standing in the judgment seat of God against my neighbor because they were mowing the lawn on Sunday. And what Paul says, he says, don't do that. Yes, verse 5, have the conviction. But verse 10, don't use this as a means of judging someone for their sinfulness because they equally, if they're believers, have their own conviction. I, I, I can't remember whether this guy was a Christian. I don't, I don't think this man was. I don't even, maybe I don't even know who, who was mowing, right? Just the window was open, I heard mowing, and so it was just indiscriminate, whatever. Those bad, wicked people out there. I'm righteous here in my house. But God will judge him. You don't need to judge him. Let, let God do that. Verse 14, verse 10, rather, right? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Here's my final point this morning. Not only live for the Lord, but also live for the judgment. That is, right, live in light of the judgment, Know the judgment's coming, so live that way. You will all stand before the Lord yourself. And you don't have to account for your neighbor 
and how they celebrate days or not celebrate days. But you'll have to give an account for yourself of how you have done that. And so live today in light of that day, because that day you will bow your knee to the Lord. As it says in verse 11, it is written, as Isaiah 45, verse 22, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Timothy quoted these same verses in Philippians 2. The idea here is that we all, all of us, will bow before the Lord, give account for our lives. And that's exactly what he says in verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so you want to live for that day that you might stand on that. Actually, you're going to kneel on that day before the Lord and you want to have a clean conscience. You want to say, God, this, this is what I was fully convinced of in my heart and mind. I, I lived fully consistent with that. And I didn't despise or judge other believers. But I welcomed them, even with our varying views. So as we think about an application of that, about Lent. We don't celebrate Lent at Rock Valley Bible Church. We're right along with... Uh, Carl Truman, who thinks it just doesn't quite make sense for us. However, it is in the church calendar, and lots of people are thinking about it. We do raise awareness about what it is, and it is a preparation for Easter Sunday morning. And so what we have done is that we use it, the six weeks Lent, as an opportunity for us to really to prepare and think and focus upon what's going to happen that, that last Sunday, which isn't biblical either, right? The Passion Week, the Palm Sunday, and then the Easter, that's not biblical either, but it is the one time of the year when many people are aware of that, where we can focus upon that. And so we, to try to do that, we celebrate the Lord's Supper just every week. We don't do that all the time, but here's kind of maybe a heightened awareness, just kind of thinking, spending time, hopefully that the benefits of Lent, right? We're going to say this isn't for righteousness sake, right? That's not making us better. That's not, it's not only a just temporary thing, but, but for this temporary season, we're going to increase our Bible reading, we're going to increase our prayer. We're just going to increase our church just focusing on the the lord's supper that it might be special to us this morning and and the lord's supper really is is nothing more than a remembrance upon everything that christ did for us it's about bread it's about the fruit of the vine if you will and it's about remembering things exactly as jesus told us to is that night last night when he was betrayed where, where he was there with his disciples, and it was the Passover. The Passover lamb was the one who was sacrificed, and, and he himself said, I'm going to be sacrificed. He took the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He took that cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's poured out for you. Drink it. And in those ways, we remember the scope of everything that Christ did, which many people think about this 40 days just leading up to the the ministry and the life of Christ, which ought to be a wonderful thing for us. We think and especially focus upon, upon Christ and his life and his death and everything that means for us. Because Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the first importance. And that's what we will focus upon here. So let's, let's bow our heads. Let's prepare to celebrate the supper. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 that we should examine ourselves first and then eat of the bread or drink. And what that means is if you are living for the Lord, if you are seeking to follow after Romans chapter 14, verse 9, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. If we are the Lord's, if you are the Lord's, then this supper is for you. Feel free to 
to take it. But if you are not the Lord's, if you're not following Jesus, if you haven't bowed the knee to him and said, Christ Jesus, I, I embrace the forgiveness you give in Jesus. And I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need a savior. And my life is yours. And I am a living sacrifice. I thank you for what you've done on the cross. I believe in you. I trust in you. I want to follow you with all my heart for all my lives. If, if you've not done that, please, I would encourage you to not eat the bread and, and drink the cup. I'd love to talk to you afterwards just about it, about how you can, that maybe next week you would take with us because this week you'd make a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus because he is my all. But I encourage you to examine yourself. Or, or maybe you are a believer here, but yet there's, there's sin in your life that you maybe for 40 days will give up, but you, you have no intention of giving it up. And if you have no intention of giving up, I, I would encourage you also not to, not to eat the bread or drink of the cup. Because whoever eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not discern the body rightly. So I just encourage you not to eat or drink in an unworthy way. But the worthy way is to confess to Christ Jesus that we need you and that we need your grace and that we need your help for discerning what, what's right, what our convictions are about the Lord's day and about serving you. And that we need to know your word and we want to follow after you. And we reflect upon everything that Christ has done for us. He's forgiven us our sins. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ. Choosing us in him, adopting us, redeeming us, forgiving us, sealing us with his Holy Spirit. God, that we might stand before you. And that's why we eat and that's why we drink. And so, Lord, I would pray for these next six weeks. During the season of Lent, I pray that we would strategically use the season where, where others are trying to um, suffer. God, may we use this as an opportunity to rejoice at the wonderful grace of Christ and all that he's done for us in the cross. So be with us now, O oh God. Touch us in a special way as we use our taste buds, O oh God, to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.